Hi, I'm Jessica Lindbergh, and this is the HeartStrong Podcast, where we dive into all the messiness that life has to offer, the joyful, the difficult, and the beautiful. As a mom and woman who's faced tragedy, I want to share stories of hope, resilience, and purpose. Join us for a conversation about what truly makes us HeartStrong. On today's podcast, I'm sitting down with Nikki Deloach. The places in which we have been hurt, the places in us that have experienced suffering, all the really hard things that we've been through or been up against in our lives, they are our greatest teachers. You know, me and my mom and our relationship, we were like oil and vinegar for so long and there was a lot of stuff that went down. And what she has taught me is I am a person who now fights for my self-worth and my self-love as if it's like Fort Knox. Nikki is an actress most currently appearing on the Hallmark Channel. Nikki is mom to two boys and has an inspiring and insightful story to share with us today. I'm thrilled to have Nikki on the HeartStrong Podcast. Welcome, Nikki. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so, so, so much for having me. I, I'm just happy that there is a podcast out there such as this. Like The fact that it exists makes me so happy. So thank you guys for creating it. And thank you so much for asking me to be a part of it. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to, to talk with you today. So before we get started, I would love for you to just to share a little bit about yourself with our listeners who might not know you yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> my name is Nikki Deloach, and I am a mama of two boys. Um, one is seven and one is three, newly seven and newly three. I am married uh, to Ryan. We've been together for 21 years, married for 11. Um, I am the daughter and granddaughter and sister of the Deloach Thompson group. Um, They reside in Georgia, in South Georgia, on a farm, which is where I'm originally from. And um, I started in the entertainment business when I was really young. I mean, I think from the time I was three years old, which sounds pretty insane, but that's what my mom said. At three years old, I started pointing to you know, musicals that I was watching. I was obsessed with watching musicals and saying that that's what I was going to do. Um, (laughs) I started dancing at three, I started singing and then I started doing commercials and, you know, modeling and kids movies when I was about seven, I think. And, um, I left home at 12 to do the Mickey Mouse Club and I haven't lived at home since. Um, I mean, listen, it has been a, it's been a lot of starting over, uh, many, many times, um, a relationship with this industry as Amy Poehler said in her book is it's like, kind of like having a bad boyfriend, (laughs) Uh, which is the best analogy that I've ever heard in my life. Uh, so it's been rocky, but I've been lucky enough, you know, uh, to be able to, you know, still be standing inside of it. And now, um, paying my bills, doing the thing that I love to do, which is, in my opinion, it's the same as winning an Oscar. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then besides that, the things that I really care about the most, and I think especially later in life, um, well, I became a political activist whenever I was in my early 20s. Um, That carried me into, you know, 
later in life, uh, becoming a, a spokesperson for the Alzheimer's Association and also a spokesperson for Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, where I'm now a board member. And I would say that um, for me, you know, the most important thing in my life is, am I living a life of service? And uh, do I have a purpose-driven heart inside of everything that I do? Um, so that's a little bit about me. <laughs> I love all those amazing things. And we are all just a conglomeration of so many things. And that's what makes us so interesting. You know, I love that, that you shared all of those parts of yourself. So you're mom to two amazing boys and your son, Bennett, which I've also read you call him Benny, was born <laughs> with a, um, he was born with a congenital heart defect. And can you just share with us a little bit about him and your journey with him? Yeah. Ah, uh, Bennett came from the stars, you know, he, yeah. I mean just the the light and the divinity and the fight that comes out of that child. I mean, I felt it from the moment I was pregnant with him, that there was something really different about him. And I didn't know how to explain it, except that when I would talk about it, I would say, you know, when Hudson, my firstborn, was in my belly, he kind of felt like he belonged to me. Mm -hmm. you know, he was just for me. And Bennett felt like he belonged to everyone, like he belonged to the world, that there was something that, that he was going to teach or become that was going to impact a lot of people. And, and, you know, when I found out I was five and a half months uh, pregnant, when I, you know, you go in to get the 4D scan and you're, you're so excited because you finally get to see all the little details of their face and their fingers and all of that stuff. And, you know, the nurse was, uh, or the technician was taking a really long time on one area. And when she got up to leave, I looked at my husband and I said, something's wrong. Something, something's really wrong. And he was like, you're just exaggerating. You know, don't go to that place. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I was like, something's really wrong. And sure enough, the doctor came in and Bennett didn't just have one heart defect. He had three that they could see. And then when they, you know, eventually when he was born and they had to do surgery, they found a fourth one. Wow. Um, it's really a miracle he's alive. So we found out that he was born with transposition of the great arteries, but not only that, well, that when he was in my belly, he had transposition of the great arteries, which is when the two main arteries that go into the heart are in the wrong chambers. So that was going on. He also had a hole in his heart and he also had an aorta that was pretty much fused shut. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. Wow. So his heart was a special, but like we always said, it was a specific, you know, unique brand of messed yes. up. Um, and it was, nobody ever, you never expect those moments. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. never, you can never prepare for that moment. And I just remember everything slowing down and getting really, really, really still. We had to, we were there for seven hours cause we had to do a lot of different tests and amniocentesis. Um, and we were very fortunate after about a month of them doing genetic testing because we had a red flag show up after our first round of genetic testing that could have potentially led to two diseases 
or two illnesses that would have meant that he probably would not have even made it through childbirth. And so here I am, you know, a month into genetic testing, six and a half months into my pregnancy, and I still don't know, you know, if I'm going to be able to even continue forward. And um, it was, I mean, there's just no words. There's really no words to describe what that feels like in that moment. I will say one of the women that you interviewed, Kelly, Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I call her one of Benny's heart angels. The second we left the doctor, I, um, one of my, my dear, dear friends had picked up my oldest son from preschool and had him at her house. And I just collapsed in her arms and just sobbed. And she was like, one of my best friends, her child is Kelly Zyphon. I mean, her name is Kelly Zyphon. Her daughter had heart surgery at CHLA. I've already called her. She's expecting your call call her. And I literally called her on the way home and she jumped into action immediately for me and got me in touch with the staff at CHLA. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful for her because that hospital saved my son's life. Not once, yeah. but three times. <laughs> three times. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, Bennett was a, Bennett changed everything. I mean, and that's the understatement of a lifetime. Um, You know, when I think about my career and where my career was going at the time, and I was just getting off a hit show and my agents were talking about like, oh, where do you want to be next? And what show and what role? And you're finally free after being on the show for six years and the sky's the limits. Let's go, you know? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait. No, 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 no. The only thing that matters is I got to save my son and I have to put everything on hold um, in order to do that. And also, you know, Kelly and I talk about it as well. Like once you've been to the show and by the show, I mean, once you've experienced a life and death experience, you can't unsee or unknow or unfeel what that experience is like. It changes every cell in your being. And in my case, it was for the better. Mm -hmm. I'm a better person. I'm a better human being. I'm a better mother. I'm a better friend. I'm a better actor. I'm a better, everything in my life is better because of what I have gone through and continue to go through with Bennett. Yeah, because it's a lifelong experience. And I love, love how you said you felt like he was born for others or as a yeah. teacher. And I relate to that with my son, Ethan. I mean, he was the same way and very, very different experience than my other kids. And I've never heard anyone say that before, but I that resonates with me. I love that. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Uh, and, 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 you know, the thing that I, I you probably have felt, you know, same with Ethan is like the whole experience of even just like, waiting. Like, I don't know about you. Nobody ever told me about this, but the thing that was, I, 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 you know how you have these flashes of the whole experience and the surgeries and all of this. Nobody prepared me for having 
to let go of his hand as they you know when you go into the hallway and they take him into surgery and they're on they're so tiny on that bed yeah and nobody prepares you for the moment in that very quiet hallway where you have to let go it just makes me cry every time i think about it yeah. uh, i've had to do it 3 times now and it really doesn't get easier where you have to let go of their hand no. and you have to trust that like the doctors are going to save them and they're going to get them through and you lose all control. There's no control. Like it's not in your hands anymore and you have to say goodbye and they roll them away and they take them in surgery and then you have to wait. You know, I mean, do you remember that? Oh, I, re- I remember that. And I will say to a lot of families, cause I, I've had this conversation with so many moms. I actually think it gets harder and harder as they get older and older yes. because they yes. become so much more ingrained in your family. And now you know their personality and their voice and their things that they like. And you see your kids interact with one another. And it is, that is, I I mean, yes, every single time. And I think, like I said, for me, it got harder and harder as he got older. And I think there isn't any way to prepare for that. And I also think it really made me realize that you know, it does pull you to a higher perspective. That's the only place that I could go with it of you know, purpose and seeing a bigger story that was being written that I was not in control of. 100%. And you say you, the words that you use were, it's the great equalizer. Yeah. And I like, that's the perfect word for it, Jess, because it's like, I try to tell people that disease and illness does not discriminate. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter the color of your skin and it doesn't matter how much money you have or who you know or any of that. Like it, it, it can come for anyone. Mm -hmm. And, and that shared experience, you know, I always say with Kelly, like, even if we go months and we don't touch base and all, um, I remember we went to dinner. We took our pediatrician because we share a pediatrician, which I have. She told me that. Yes. Because of Kelly. (laughs) And we sat in the car after having dinner with her, Kelly and I did, for I think like an hour and a half. And we just sat in the car. And I will never forget this night for the rest of my life because it was just these two mommies who have been through the same situation. She's been in that waiting room. She's been in that hallway. She's been by her child's bedside. She's held her Lily's hand just like I've held Benny's hand. She has sobbed. She has been in trauma and in fear of like worrying one day, like, is something going to happen to the heart? Is it going to hold up? Is it going to be okay? Like all the thoughts that go into that and thinking to myself, wow, what divinity and grace and beauty is this that I get to sit with you in this car and without saying anything, you know what I've lived and I know what you've lived and that will connect us till the end of time. Yes. It really does. It, I mean, the women, the women that are in my life still, and even some of some physicians that are women that I have become friends at this point in my life, and we've shared <laughs> like we've shared times that even my best of friends and yes. my family, my sisters that I'm very close with, they didn't even get to see. And it is this sacred place that you have with people. And that is one of the things that I'm so thankful for to have that experience. I mean, I I always say I would never choose, you know, the life that I've had with my kids and the things that they've gone through, but I would never trade it because it has given me so many gifts 
It's so true. It is really true. Yeah. And I, I, like you talked about the equalizer and I experienced the same thing. I remember sitting, waiting for Ethan to have his first surgery in this like bay of beds and there was a single mom and African-American mom and a mom and dad. And, you know, one set of parents that wasn't there, they were calling them on the phone to get consent for surgery. And I was like, wow, like, like, all these people are thrust into this space and time together. We all have different backgrounds. Like it doesn't matter, like you said, who you are, how much money you have, who you know, where you went to school, what color your skin is, like it, you, we are here. And yeah. I found that to be such a beautiful thing. Like I just found that to be comforting that in a realization that I think that's true in many circumstances, we just don't realize it. It's, it is so true. And I think, you know, especially at a time now, And the thing I think that hurts the most is knowing that we are so much more alike than we are different. And when you really peel all the layers back, somebody has a story of some pain or something that they have gone through. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it is our collective hurts and also our collective you know, triumphs over those and what we carry forward, that stuff connects us. That is, that, that, that's the stuff that like, if we could really peel away everything else and just look at each other on a human to human level, we would see that, that we are just so much more alike than we are different. And, um, so I really relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And we are so much more alike and, I just long for that place if we could somehow find it. And I have found that in individual circles with people, you know, or groups of people where you can have those honest conversations. But I think it is, I just notice people who have gone through something difficult in their life, have done the work through it, are so much more real and are willing to go there. And I think that's what we need right now. We need that. I do. I think I really do, which is why I also appreciate, you know, what you guys are doing is, and I think that's the reason, not I think, I know it's the reason I wanted to be a storyteller. You know, Mm. I, I, it's the reason I, cause you know, childhood was a little rough for me, (laughs) a bit rough for me. And I escaped inside of movies and, Mm. um, and for me, I, I felt like, oh, somebody else feels what I'm feeling. Someone else knows. Like it create it can create empathy in you and connection and make you feel like you're not isolated or alone. And it wasn't just about doing a movie or doing a television show. Like as I got older, I was like, oh wait, it's about just sharing your story. Yeah. And it's about other people sharing their stories with you. With Hudson, I had extreme suicidal postpartum depression that would not go away for, it was about two years before I really, really kicked it. And I remember looking around and being like, like, I think it was Brooke Shields was the only person who had talked about postpartum in a public way. And 
I I felt so isolated and sh- and in shame because of it that I didn't talk to anybody about it, and it really got myself into trouble because I I was really sick by the time I was talking to other people about it, and I learned a very valuable lesson in that, which was I came out of that experience talking to everyone about my postpartum and what I had gone through and being very vocal about it. And what I learned was that the reach out after that from people of like, me too, me too, me too. And I, I still, you know, I still struggle with it because of what I feel like was taken from me. And I still like, you know, there were so many people that reached out and said, I too felt like I went through it in isolation. And at that point in time, I thought, you know what? Like I have some sort of platform, you know, it's not, I don't have, you know, 50 million people following (laughs) me, but for the people who are following me and for the people in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to walk through life being truly open about what I'm going through because I like, I know that there are other people out there that are feeling isolated and lonely in their experience. And if they can feel like, oh, somebody else is going through that as well, then then that's going to connect us. And honestly, it is through that that we experience the healing. Yeah. Because we need that connection. And sometimes we need permission, I think, oh, or, my gosh. You know, to say, this is what this is what's going on with me. This is how I'm feeling. Um, because it is there are so many parts of life that can be so isolating and the shame can really overtake us. And you're right. Sharing your story, anyone sharing their story is just incredibly powerful and healing. Yeah. Big yeah, time. So healing. So I think it's natural to ask ourselves why bad things happen to good people. You know, we've all been there in different scenarios of our life, especially when those people become us. You know, we're like, <laughs> yeah. what's going on here? Can you share a little bit about the process that you went through, like relooking at things that you believe and how you see life um, through the things that you've been through? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I was raised, much like I think a lot of people, um, especially in this country, I was raised in, um, you know, a very Christian home, um, Baptist church, and it was you know, preached on a daily basis. Basically, if you live your life perfect and you are, you know, you do all the things that God wants you to do and you live your life that way, that you're going to be rewarded and bad things aren't going to happen to you. And, and which is just not true. Right. It's actually not true. And, and I think it's a very dangerous message to tell people, you know, it didn't feel, I remember being a kid and hearing that and thinking, wait, there's a lot of pain that I see around me. There's a lot of illness that's happening to people who are good. So I don't understand. Like I remember as a child, not processing that fully, but being like, well, but this pastor's telling me this and he must know. And my mom's telling me this, or she must know. And the adults in my life keep saying this over and over and they must know more than me but I remember it feeling very false as a kid. And then as I got older, especially when I went through what I did with Bennett, I came out of the other side, especially like you said, looking in that hospital and looking at all those people that are in there with their children. Mm-hmm. And me being so involved with Children's Hospital, I am seeing sick children all the time. 
Yeah. And do we really believe that those sick children did something wrong to put them in that situation? Do we really believe that they're not good and that's why bad things happen to them? It's just false. And yeah. so I had to really reevaluate not only my beliefs, um, but kind of deconstruct a lot of the stuff that I was taught as a child through the church. And God is not the church. Right. I'm I'm a deep person of faith. I still am in my life. I pray every morning. I pray every night. I watch church, obviously, because it's COVID online every Sunday, every Wednesday night, church home. What up, guys? (laughs) Um, But I, I think that we just like things change and you learn more over time. I think a lot of the things that we were taught as youth or as children in church are really not, are really false. And that is one of them. And what I learned is that like bad things happen. It's just like we were saying earlier, like it doesn't matter your skin color or how much good you do in the world or where you came from or what you know or whatever, like bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. And what, what I learned was that it's not God doing that to me. It is just the experience that I am having right now. And what my faith does is my faith helps me to move through that experience in a way that is healing, in a way that allows me to take that pain and turn it into purpose. And my faith allows me to give that experience great meaning, you know? So that's truly was a a grand revelation that I have, that I had going through all of that with Bennett. I, that's gorgeous and such a needed message. I think for myself, one of the greatest gifts I gave myself was the same is to kind of deconstruct those beliefs and ideas. And I just am such a proponent of giving people permission to do that. And I wanted to talk about that because I want the people listening to know that you too can ask those questions. You too can deconstruct those things and find a great place of peace. This has been the craziest year. And now we're heading into the holidays and we're all asking ourselves, what the heck are we going to buy the people we love? Well, I don't know about you, but I want to share something with my friends that makes a difference. Surprise someone you love with a sustainably made Heartstrong sweatshirt or a made-for-this necklace. We have a great new holiday collection coming at the Four Heart Shop full of inspiring words and stylish clothes. Remind someone in your life or in your community that they are doing a great job. And everything that the Four Heart Shop puts out supports the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation. So you're getting something really cool and you're totally making a difference. You can head over and visit fourheartshop.com at F-O-U-R-H-E-A-R-T-S-S-H-O-P.com or click on the link in our show notes because the words we wear make a statement about who we are and what we believe. So I read that you said or wrote, this is actually a a blog post that someone had interviewed you for. You said, the healer's gift is her own wound. It is the source of empathy and true understanding of compassion and forgiving to heal yourself, embrace your wound as your sacred teacher. And I like jumped up and down when I read that because you're speaking my language. But just talk to me a little bit about how like our wounds are really our sacred teachers. They really are. 
it's just like, I've never, have you ever heard somebody talk about how much they learned from the success that they've had in their lives? No, (laughs) no, I haven't actually. No, like I've never heard somebody go like, I've, I've never fallen and I've never hurt myself and I've never had a bad thing happen to me. And I've learned all of these things, you know, like you've never heard that. I've never heard that because it is the, the places in which we have been hurt, the places in us that have experienced suffering, you know, all the really hard things that we've been through or been up against in our lives they are our greatest teachers. You know, me and my mom and our relationship, like we were like oil and vinegar for so long. And there was a lot of stuff that went down and what, what she has taught me is I am a person who now fights for my self-worth and my self-love as if it's like Fort Knox. Hmm. And it's that whole Glennon Doyle quote that she has in her book, Untamed, that is so just, ugh, one of the best books that I've read in it such is. a long time. It's beautiful. Where she says, I will not, I will no longer betray myself for any relationship, any institution, and you know, any place that asks me to show up in any other version than who I truly am. And so, you know, that wound as a, a like as a child also was the thing that drove me to be on a spiritual journey, to be honest. It drove me to find out more, to dig, to ask, to, um, you know, to keep asking. I forget who, I think it was Albert Einstein that was like, I'm not that smart, but I stay with the questions much longer. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Which I, you know, that relationship taught me, you know, to just stay with the questions and stay with the pain. Just pry yourself open enough to sit inside of it so that you can figure out the stuff so that you can learn and you can grow and you can heal. And and then with Bennett, oh my goodness, like there are flashes that come into my head and I'm still dealing with some trauma over almost losing him because the second time we had his heart surgery and you're right, it does get worse. Um, he was a year older and I thought, well, I've already done it once. So, um, you know, it shouldn't be, I I should, it should be a little bit easier for me to be able to do. It was so much harder because like you said, they're now in your family more, they're in your heart more, their personalities, everything about like, you just love them or everything is more. And, um, and i just i just remember like inside of that just feeling like the trauma and the pain and everything that came up and the ptsd from going through it yet again and what i realized is that like the last 2 years i have spent most of my therapy in trauma therapy which is yeah. why i learned where i learned that the healer's gift is her own wound and i think that we are a nation where so many of us are carrying around our traumas. And I feel like the next wave of healing that therapists will be doing, that we will be doing on a very deep level, is really pulling apart our traumas and the the ways in which that has showed up, shown up, which a lot of the ways, which for many it's PTSD, whether you're a veteran. I've, I talk to a lot of veterans um, who carry PTSD 
and an, and which is trauma. Grief mm-hmm. is traumatic. And mm-hmm. nobody gives us a skill set, at least not up until now, for how to heal inside of that. Yeah. And I think that our great, you know, purpose, you, me, those of us who have gone through it and are trying to create a way to talk about it, is is to really and truly talk about that trauma and 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 help people learn how to heal it. And so for me, there was there was no other way than just like truly embracing my wound and my pain and everything because it's a part of me. It's a part of who I am. And it's a part of us that it's okay to embrace. You know, I think we live in a culture that's like shinier, prettier, better, you know, and that's just not what makes people beautiful in my opinion. It is that I've been through this. I'm doing the work. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm asking the questions. And here I am now. And that is gorgeous to me. And I think you're right. That is – and I echo 100%. I mean, I I did – some trauma work myself. I did a lot of EMDR and that was extremely helpful for me. That made a huge difference in my life. And there are tools and we do need to name it. And we do need to, there are so many moms that I know, well, of kids who have all different kinds of diseases, but especially in the heart community who have tremendous trauma. We have to name that. We have to talk about that. We have to help them get the help that they need. I mean, it is such a need. So yes, I echo that. A thousand percent. And I tell people the same about like, we've been taught, like, don't feel the bad stuff. Don't feel yeah. the fear. Get over the fear. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Fear is the thing that teaches us, hey, 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 wake up, yeah. pay attention. The ground underneath you is shifting. Get present because you need you need to really be alive and alert right now. So fear is also our teacher. I pull fear super, super close and I literally ask it, like, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to show me? As if it's a best friend. So I think that we have been taught not to feel the yucky stuff, but, but the yucky stuff is still there. Even if you don't feel it, it's still there. It just comes out in other ways. It comes out in really hateful conversations or it comes out in rage or anger. Or it comes out in disconnection and isolation. You know, when my husband and I, when we went through postpartum, my husband, like, it felt like he just literally abandoned me. It was like, yeah. you know, he didn't want to engage. He didn't want to have a conversation about it. He didn't, you know... He, his was denial. That's not what you're experiencing. And, and meanwhile, I was suicidal. Suffering, yeah. And suffering. And then when Bennett, we found out about Bennett's condition, he went to do the same thing. Isolate, denial, you know, and both times it felt like it is so painful and I felt so abandoned. And I finally, one night I went outside I had hired us. I found like the best family therapist in Los Angeles and I went outside and it's the only ultimatum I've ever given my husband in our 21 years. And I said, you're going to come with me to therapy on Saturday. And if you don't come with me, then don't plan on coming home. Wow. And we started going. And what I learned was that it was so scary to him. Postpartum was scary because I was this rock. You know, Mm -hmm. I was the person that knew what to do. I was the person that had the answers. And all of a sudden, the person 
that not only was taking care of his child and the person who had the answers and the person was driven, like I was such a go-getter and I still am. All of a sudden that person was dying and he didn't, he was so scared of it. He didn't know any other way to deal with it because he had no skill set, but to just like walk away. Like, I, I, I don't know what else to do. And the same thing happened with Bennett. And so when I learned that I was like, I could wrap my love and compassion around it. And then together to build a form of communication. So next time when he gets scared or when he has fear, what are you going to do instead of walking away? What are you going to do instead? How are you going to walk towards the fear and how are you going to put a voice to that fear so that you and I could be a team together with it and then move forward and get to the other side of it? It doesn't go away. Feelings are meant to be felt. So that was a real huge, you know, life lesson, um, just in terms of like the same on the same theme of just like embracing your wounds, like embrace the stuff that we often try to walk away from, because that's those are the things that are going to teach us everything that we need to know in that moment. That moment. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for so openly sharing that, because I think I know from my own marriage and my own experience, these are things that are happening in marriages across the country, especially when you have a kid that has an illness, a chronic illness, it it is. And it is an, also an opportunity to grow as a couple and as an individual. So thank you for being so vulnerably transparent about that. That is so important. Thank you. You're so welcome. So this has been a super crazy year and <laughs> <laughs> to say it lightly, but I'm just wondering if you could share with us, like, what's something that's really feeding you right now, like spiritually, intellectually, just making you happy? Like, what are you doing to sort of keep going? Oh, well, I, you know, like I said, I had a lot of practice. So I kind of am very in tune with the ride and what I need to do along the ride, you know, when things are really gritty and things are really tough in order to keep myself going. So spiritually, so my, my church here in LA is called church home and it is the whole thing is like being able to have church away from home because as we talked about earlier, God is not the church. God right. is so much bigger than the church. And um, so I love tuning in to my son to their Sunday service, um, their Wednesday night service. I pray every morning and every night. And it's very meditative the way that I sit and really kind of tune into my body and and really get into my body and breathe into all the places that feel maybe a little sticky and you know, I'm of a certain vintage now, you know, getting up there and it, like we wake up we got some aches and pains but i you know breathe into my body and i really just whatever comes up to me whoever needs to be prayed on whatever i'm thinking about i just have a conversation and so you know that feeds me deeply on a very um spiritual level and uh intellectually i love to read i love listening to podcasts i love um listening to books on tape um i'll often get on my like exercise bike and just like, instead of even following the class, I'll just pedal and like, listen to something. And I think that like, when I'm, when I'm getting pretty stressed out sometimes, like that's one thing that I do is I just like put on, you know, a good podcast, like Heartstrong. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and, I, I, and I, I love to listen to things that really feed me and things where I can learn. Um, 
And uh, what makes me happy? Um, it really is the little things. It has become the little things after Bennett. You know, I was a person who my whole entire life, uh, I was climbing that mountain, man. I was like, I, I, I was very driven and very determined. And it's also probably why, you know, I look back and whenever I was, you know, all my peers on the Mickey Mouse Club, I came into the Mickey Mouse Club they called us the sexy seven, which is kind of weird because we were children, but <laughs> it was Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, myself, um, TJ Fantini and Tate Lynch. And what a group, what a group. And yeah. so as I'm 15 years old and all of my best friends are becoming the most famous people in the world, you know, and they continue to be the most famous people in the world. I was on this trajectory of like, you know, having a good year and then having two horrible years and having like, I've been on unemployment. Um, it's been such a roller coaster. And at times it was that thing of like, wait, did God forget me? Is God not seeing my hustle? Like I'm hustling just as much as them. Like, what about me? Was I forgotten? Am I just not good enough? You know, um, there was so much of that. And then Bennett kind of shattered all of that because what I learned was like, none of that actually matters, you know, if we don't have our health. Yeah. None yeah. of it. So, you know, for me, it is the little things. It is waking, like my kids, whenever, like every morning they come and then just smother me with kisses in bed and love all over me. It's that moment every single day. It is, um, you know, it is being able to at night, like sit with Bennett and read to him or have conversations with Hudson, or we take walks as a family every single day. You know, it's looking even at our neighborhood. I try to like, just see something different that I didn't see the day before. I just look for it. You know, what is something that I haven't seen before? I've walked this neighborhood a thousand times, but like, what is something I didn't notice that's there? Um, and kind of like those little things are the things that keep me like just so happy. And also, you know, I've been having these Instagram conversations uh, leading up to the walk to end Alzheimer's, which is this Saturday. And I've been um, having these conversations and being able, because I was like, what can I do for people who are donating? Like people are following me and donating. And I have so many people who are affected by Alzheimer's. Um, my dad, by the way, has Pick's disease, which is a very rare and aggress aggressive form of dementia. And I found out about my dad's diagnosis the same week I found out about Benny's diagnosis. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, so I decided to have all of the, have conversations with doctors and other people who have gone through it so that I can give that back to other people who are also doing the same thing. And I think honestly, the, 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 the huge, like for the election, like phone banking and text banking and, and just asking my friends who are involved, like, where do you need help? How can I show up? It's all about like waking up every day and saying, how can I be of service today? Like, you know, God lead me to those I need and those who need me and help me to do something today of eternal significance. Like, I think that if you wake up with that mentality, then like being of service in the world will make you tremendously happy. <laughs> it's like yeah, it does. It brings so much joy. It brings so much joy and it's the and it's the number one thing to to like instantly get you out of like any 
any type of like, like if you're feeling down or depressed or like not happy or like whatever, it's the, the, it's the biggest thing that could just get you out of it. We also have a lot of dance parties in our house. Which- <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we have a lot of dance parties. Um, yeah. So those are a few of the things that, that, that we're doing over here. That's kind of getting us through this really, really crazy year. What is something that you're doing? I would love to know. I want to learn. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm very similar to you. I spend a, I do prayer in silence for me is a huge one. I've actually been walking a lot. I try to, I, my neighborhood is like 1.2 miles around. So like oh, today wow. I, I did one, but I'm like, I try to do two or three. Sometimes I take my kids, sometimes I go myself. And I just find that like bilateral movement of walking and just, it's almost like meditative for me. And I've really found, and there are days that I can't, and I used to be more of a runner, but for some reason through pandemic, I've just been walking a lot and I just found that has helped me a ton. And then working on like my creative projects like this and things that I do um, with the foundation and, and serving people. I mean, those are things that like, just like you, that brings me so much joy more than anything else. And I just think that we're here as vessels. Like, you know, I've learned from my story that, you know, I used to like you want to control so many different things and and it's a different story, but so many similarities of giving up things that I thought were going to make me successful or be important. Mm. And Mm -hmm. just knowing that like, and I don't know what the next five years, I don't have a five-year plan anymore. I just, (laughs) I'm just like, whatever I'm created to do next, God, show me that and I'll do it. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Isn't that glorious though? The freedom. It It really is. I used to sit on the other end. Like I would go in and test for a role and like for, for days and minutes, I'd be like, oh my gosh, did I get it? Did I get it? Did I get it? Like I used to obsess so much over it. And now it's like, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what God's going to bring me. I mean, I am writing and and producing as much as I'm acting now, and I absolutely oh, that's love so cool. it. It is really cool, yeah. and I never thought that I would love that as much as I do love acting, but I do. But like, even with that, like, I have no idea what's coming for me. I spent an entire life knowing exactly I had a plan. I knew exactly where I wanted to go, and life was like, nope, 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 nope. Nope. And it took me to like in my thirties to realize like, what am I doing? Why do I keep like, (laughs) why do I keep making these plans? Like it's, you know, it, it's more about just like following your heart. What are the whispers? Like what is being whispered into your soul and in your heart right now? You know, and for you, it was definitely this podcast. And then it's like, this thing is being whispered to me and I'm going to create it. I'm going to do it. And I, and I'm not going to be attached to the outcome or how big it gets or whatever, but I just know that my soul is calling for me to do this. And I think it's, it's that. And I love that you said not being attached to outcomes because we live in such an outcome driven world, whether it's followers or downloads or, you know, there's a bazillion ways and so similar, like the projects that I really want to be working on, the things that I'm doing. I, I got to that point. I'm like, I don't really care if this serves five people or 500,000 people. Like if it serves people and I have the interest in continuing to do it, I will do it. And that is just, Mm. there. that has given me a lot of freedom because I think historically that has not been my mindset because I'm just a very driven person also. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's good. I just think it's also giving, like being driven and going for something, but then also like releasing the outcome to whatever's meant to be, you know? Yes. 
Yes, because you can't create like at our acting studio, my, um, my teacher and, you know, I became a teacher there myself 12 years ago. God, has it been that long or 10 years ago? But she would say thing this before every single class, leave ego at the door where ego belongs, ego being the great killer of creativity. Mm, and cool. that means releasing outcome and yeah. releasing expectation. Because if you go into a scene even, expecting a scene to go a certain way, that means you don't know what that other person's going to give you. You don't know how they're going to deliver a line. So like you're literally taking away all the creativity and the freedom of what that scene could essentially be if you would just let go of your idea of how it's going to go and just play and just dance and just be. And that's that's what I'm so focused on is really and truly – unwiring myself, undoing the wiring that I've had for, you know, 40 years and rewiring to just dance, to just play. That was my word for the year, dance. I wanted to dance like whatever came up. It's like whatever comes up, I just want to dance with it, whether it's hard, whether it's easy, whether it brings me joy, whether it brings me pain, I'm going to dance with it and see where that takes me. And I think it's going to be my word every year for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's such a good thing to work on. I love yeah. that so much. I, yeah. I, that's a good one. That's such a good one. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about the movies that, because I know you have two movies that are new out um, this fall, and I've watched both of them. Oh, um, and I, so, you know, my little guy, Bodie, I have a six year old, and he has like a rare muscular dystrophy. So after school every day, we sit together on the couch and we do a snack, and sometimes he dozes off on me. And usually I'll like turn on the TV. And so, Sometimes I'll be like, I'm going to watch a Hallmark movie because it's always a happy ending and life is like so crazy. It's like, I even did that last night. I'm like, I have to turn off the news and turn on something else. Um, So I would just love to hear a little bit about your movies and so people can know what they are and they can give them a watch. But that's so nice. Thank you. By the way, you're not the only one. I received so many DMs from my Hallmark community. Um, over the last couple of days of like, I just have your, your movies and all the Hallmark movies on repeat. I just have them on repeat. Yes. I was like, stay in that world. It's safe there. (laughs) I know my husband sometimes like will tease me about it. But then like the other night, he's like, I think we should turn on a Hallmark movie. (laughs) We were like, we cannot watch the news any longer. That is, I know that's the greatest thing I've ever heard is the husband coming. Like, you know, when the husband comes in, says that we need to turn on the Hallmark movie. Stuff has really gotten deep. Um, So yeah, so I did two movies inside a pandemic, by the way, which was I. By the way, I shocked myself. Um, I don't think it's an accident that I am been the busiest as an actor in the inside of a pandemic (laughs) as anyone that I know. I think I was the first movie I did in Vancouver was one of the first um, like of eight movies that was up and running. And, um, and, you know, we've been so careful with Bennett and part of it was like, I really, I wanted to do them in Canada. I know that I knew that there was no community spread up there. I also knew all the protocols that were being put into place. But with that being said, there's also obviously always risk, you know, even though 
pretty minimal. I mean, the second movie I did in Winnipeg, um, in all of Manitoba, which is gigantic, by the way, in all of Manitoba, there was only 330 cases. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. Wow. So, like, you know, and everybody's masked with shields and this and that. So like, I was like, yes, this is, this is pretty safe, but I did both of them and I'm currently working on something else. Uh, inside of this pandemic, which was actually in the end, very healing for my PTSD, because when you're being triggered every two seconds, you really have to learn to work through it yeah. um, in the moment. But one of them is called Sweet Autumn. And it was a fall harvest movie that I did with my dear, dear friend, Andrew Walker. And um, it was, I, I had two days after I wrapped Cranberry Christmas, which is my Christmas movie um, in Vancouver. And I had like two days to get to Winnipeg, which is a 30 hour drive. And we got to work immediately. Like I landed and we started working. So I was so grateful to be able to do that with Andrew, who we have such a familiarity with. I, you know, he's one of my dearest friends. So that was that I was like, okay, you're going to carry me we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to be fine. Um, and it just, it turned out so sweet. And then the movie Cranberry Christmas, the, the Christmas one that I did was really special to me because, um, it was really the first time that Hallmark investigated a married couple that was going through a separation. And, um, I love my work with them. Like, yes, Sweet Autumn was a very, very traditional Hallmark channel movie, you know? Um, but I also love doing movies for them that are a little different. Last year, I did a movie called Two Turtle Doves, where I played a, a neuroscientist. Much, it was very Brene Brownish, where my character's job was to research emotions, and and I was in the middle of researching trauma and grief and what it does to the brain and the body. And I was like, wow, this is crazy because this is how I've been spending the last two years of my life. And it was very different for Hallmark and the audience loved it. And it made it on the top of like all these lists of the best Christmas movie of the year. And, um, I think it told Hallmark that like, we can tell these deeper stories, yeah. you know, not only can our audience handle it, but they're hungry they for it. They want it. I think people they want that. Yeah, they want yeah. it. They want us to tell stories that are more real and not just about single people falling in love. And so Cranberry Christmas is that. And I'm really proud of it. And I got to do it with a new Hallmark face that I had never worked with, um, Benjamin Ayers, and a first-time female director who I thought knocked it out of the park and working with her was such a joy. Um and I just, I really love being a part of the Hallmark family because I love making movies that make people feel good. Yeah. Well, good. They're, they're great. I hope people will check them out. They're, they're both heartwarming for some, for this, for actually the reasons that you mentioned. I love them both for those reasons. So this is the Heartstrong podcast and we've covered so many different things today, which I love multi, you know, conversations with so many different topics. That makes me so happy as a person. But um, I've had so much fun talking with you about all of these things. But this is the HeartStrong podcast where we talk about overcoming challenges and how do we live HeartStrong in our life. So I'm wondering if as we wrap up today, you could just, you know, tell our audience something that you do. I know you've already shared a lot of things, but that helps you live HeartStrong. Just something that, you know, is is, is your thing that, that you go to to live HeartStrong. Ah. <sighs> openness, just being open. Um, my therapist that I've had since my mid twenties, who is now 
you know, like a second mother to me because I really did not have boundaries for a very long time. (laughs) She, um, she taught me a long time ago that if you can manage to just pry yourself open because it's vulnerability. And as we've learned from our, our great leader, Brene, um, you can't actually get to love and trust and respect and, all of those things that we so deeply want to feel as humans, you really can't get to it without getting vulnerable. And so Madeline told me, if you can pry yourself open and walk through, you know, every situation in your life, not just the good, but especially the really painful and the really difficult, like that's where the miracles are. And that's where the magic is. And that's the stuff that will change your life. And she's so right. It's like, anytime I come up against something, it's like open, 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 open. I just keep telling myself, just open, open. And it allows you to soften enough to feel your feelings. It allows you to create space for other people's feelings. And it allows you to see the world in a way that you would not have necessarily seen it. So that's the thing that really helps me to be heartstrong. Thank you so much, Nikki, for joining me today on the Heartstrong Podcast. You can follow Nikki on Instagram at N-I-K-D-E-L-O-A-C-H or check out the link in our show notes. And don't forget to watch Nikki's new movies, Cranberry Christmas and Sweet Autumn on the Hallmark Channel. Please rate and review the podcast in iTunes and be sure to subscribe. And a super special thank you to our producer, Allison Cohen, and our sound engineer, Jared McCammon. Join us next week on the HeartStrong Podcast. Mm-hmm.